Well, if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Exodus, the second book in the Bible. We are going through this series, and we've been going through the book of Exodus, God's glory and redemption, but through December, it's a little tweak. If you notice, we're going to be looking at characteristic or attributes of God, the God who is. And so all through December, we'll be saying the, the God who is something, and today the God who is speaking. And so we'll look at that through a very famous chapter in the Bible. We're in chapter three. Many of us know this account of Moses and the burning bush, but I want to dive us into the details of it and what we can learn um, about who God is and, and that he is speaking. And we've said in Exodus, as a way of reminder for those who you who haven't been here, but also for all of us that who have been here, is everything that we talk about launches from these two points in understanding of the book of Exodus, that God is always working a good plan built on his promises and that that plan rarely plays out like we think it's going to. So everything that, that we think about through the book of Exodus, God is unveiling his, his redemptive plan, and it's born of his good promise, but it rarely plays out like we think. And it doesn't for the people of Israel in the book of Exodus, and it often doesn't in our own lives. And so to that, we can relate. So uh, I'll be in Exodus 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5, but we're going to cover um, most all of the account through verse 22. Exodus 3, 1 through 5, and then we'll capture the rest of the story. This is what it says. We find this character that we've been looking at, Moses. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. That is the reading of the Lord, is his word. I want to pray for us. Uh, pray especially if you're wondering about this, this speaking thing, that God would speak to you today, that he would unveil his word to you in a clear way, that you would go, that you would hear, that you would be able to see who Jesus Christ is, what he's done for you, and then you can go and live for him. Let's pray together. I'll pray for us collectively after you utter those for yourself. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. As Cindy prayed earlier, often in this season, we have rare moments where we can just sit and be quiet and, and listen. And so that's what we want to do this morning. We want to sit and listen to your word, not listen to a preacher preach, but to listen to your voice. By the power of your spirit, these words would bounce off of this page and penetrate our heart in such a way that it would transform them and that we would understand who you are in a better way. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for Jesus. We find life in his name. And all God's people said, amen. So you might have seen the title of this message and what we're looking at today, God is speaking. And if you're like me, in just our, our culture of church, you I, I did that intentionally, but I also did it carefully that I want to unpack this, uh, this, this idea that God speaks more than he's already said. And that is out there in church culture today, that God 
is still saying things. And so we believe that God's word is final, that he's not adding to, but we do believe he is active in teaching, showing, speaking to our hearts. And so often is the case when we look at a story like this, the burning bush, we often wonder, like, why doesn't God talk to me that way? Now, if you've been around Christian circles and if you've been around the block a little bit, you might know that people say this kind of thing, God told me or the Lord said to me. Now, often is the case, it happens more in, uh, and this isn't necessarily a knock, it's just a danger, in charismatic movements, people will say, Christian believing people will say, the Lord told me. And sometimes what they mean is he told them something that's not in the scriptures. And I don't know if you've ever been exposed to that, but often is the case, they'll say something that God has given them special revelation. Now, it's interesting because other religions have claimed that prophets have, got, prophets have claimed from other religions that God has spoken directly to them. We believe the Bible is complete and closed in its canon, and that when Jesus came, we just read about it earlier, we'll talk about it again, that this cannot be true. And there is a, a denomination out there that says God still is speaking. So on cultural issues, he's saying new things, which I want to be crystal clear about. He's not saying new things. Even Solomon came along. He said, there's nothing new under the sun. When the prophets spoke, they were testifying about Jesus. And when he came, he was the final prophet. And all that we need is in God's word. So there's no more need for special revelation, if you will. Look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 for this. I don't know that it'll be up there, but it says, all scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So here's the deal. God's word has all that you need. We don't need to hear something else as if God needs to say something else to us. Clear? At the same time, and I want to make this evident, God by his spirit moves us to obedience, sometimes different callings in life. I have many examples of when God has urged me or nudged me by the spirit and not contrary to his word to go and do. I hope that happens for you when you leave this place with that invitation and you look out in your neighborhood and God puts it on your heart and says, I want you to go across to that neighbor that you never talked to. Do you know who I'm talking about right now? I want you to invite them. Maybe they have no church home. Those promptings by the Spirit are real and evident. And it doesn't mean that God is saying a new thing. It means that he's saying the same thing in his word. Preach the gospel. Show love. All those things that are confirmed in his word. So here's what I'd say about this. The balance of these things. God has spoken fully and finally through Jesus Christ and his word and still guides us by the Spirit to act specifically in accordance with those two things, but never against them. I've had people in my ministry that have come and said, the Lord spoke to me. My first question is, would you kindly give me the verse in reference? My second point in saying that is some people have said things that they've believed God has told them that, that I can go to the Word and they're contrary to. Even to the point of this, this is an extreme example, but I had someone say to me, I think God wants me to be with this woman, this married woman, to somebody else. People come up with all kinds of wacky stuff when they say what they think they want to say and not what God says. And so this morning would be learning from Moses' life what God says, who he is, and what we can glean from that. Begging this question from all of us, do you want to hear 
God speak? And that's the question of the day. Do you want to hear him speak? He is not silent. If you feel like he is, you've missed it. And so many of you might come here today and you might think, God, God just is not present in my life. I'm glad you're here. I love how John Piper says this. He says, God communicates. He's meant to connect with us. He is not an idea just to be thought about. He is a person to be listened to and understood and enjoyed and obeyed. He is a speaking person. There is no more important fact than this. There is a God who speaks that we might know him and love him and live in joyful obedience to him. So if you've come here today and you think that God is not speaking in your life, I'm super glad you're here because we're going to open the word and we're going to learn that together with these three broad points in mind. And then I'll give three sub points through Moses' life. These three broad points, if you're left with nothing else, I would want you to know this. God has spoken. God is speaking and we should listen. I want to reread Hebrews 11 or Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 for context because it's a launching point of us going back to Moses. Cindy came up and read this, and I do this for emphasis. Long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke, first point, to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us, active and present, to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created Also, he created the world. He is the radiance, Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature and upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. What the author of Hebrews, and if you go and read the whole book, the the author of Hebrews is going to unpack this, that Jesus is the greater Moses. That long ago, in many times, and in many ways, and and this is good, that God spoke in different ways to different prophets at different seasons, and he did that through Moses' life for a time, and in the fulfillment of Jesus, it's saying, but when Jesus came, there's your central point in history, there's your central figure in the scriptures, he is God himself in the flesh, manifested in this season, we celebrate that, anticipate that, he has done it all in finality, and his finished work at the cross is finished. There is no more. So all that Jesus spoke in ministry, no more necessary. All that the authors and the apostles wrote about in the New Testament, nothing more necessary. So if you ever think God speaks past scripture, you're missing the mark. He has done that in in a conclusive way. He has spoken before Christ and then after. So when we complain, listen to this, many of us look for burning bush moments in our life and we say, I just wish God would just tell me this thing. Listen, when we complain that when we can't, we can't hear God speak or that a burning bush doesn't exist, we are like a man complaining that Wisconsin has no dairy farms in it just because you can't see them from your backyard. Get it? When you complain in that way, you're saying like, just because it doesn't happen in the way I want it, it's like saying there's no dairy farms in Wisconsin just because I can't see them. God has spoken through his word. He has revealed his son, Jesus Christ, to us. All that you have and need is in there. And God will unveil all that you need when you need it, if you would go and and desire to listen. And that's the question. Do you want to hear God speak? So we dive into the text here, and we learn about Moses. And I'm going to give you three sub-points as we go through each verse, learning about this encounter. Now Moses now, and and many of us don't think this way when we get to chapter 3, he's 80 years old when it gets into verse 1 here. He's 40 years old when, when he 
um, essentially flees, and he spent 40 years shepherding in the wilderness. He was 40 years when he fled Egypt, and he spent 40 years. So he's 80 years old, this man. And it says, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Very interesting in context because Moses is in the wilderness himself for 40 years before he even leads the people of Israel into the wilderness for 40 more years. And so he's found here, and he's found here by Mount Horeb, which is also Mount Sinai, which is interesting for context. God meets him here. Moses will show up again here when he's given the law. And so this is a really important place where God is meeting. He's going to establish the nation of Israel here. And it says that Moses is there just doing his job, shepherding. It says in verse 2 that the angel then appears in a flaming bush. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame out of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Now, the angel of the Lord is God himself. Often in the Old, Old Testament, you might think, well, is it an angel or is it God himself? God's presence in an angel of the Lord, that's the language they use to describe God because we know it's God himself who's going to call. And so it's not just a messenger. But here we have this bush, and let me remind us all, the bush is nothing fancy. It's a desert shrub. It is who is speaking and who is making himself known that is special. But Moses is met with this sight, and you and I would be the same way. We'd either think somebody's being really happy with gasoline somewhere, or that thing's not getting swallowed up. I mean, this is a sight that you and I can't even relate to. If we see something on fire, it usually gets down to, to hot coal and ash and disappears. This bush was interesting to Moses, which is important for knowing what he's about to do in verse 3. Because Moses said, look at this, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush has not burned. Now, this is key. All things detailed in the scripture is key. If Moses says, I'm going to turn aside to check this out, we have to almost assume that he could have said, eh, burning bush, go home and tell Zipporah, guess what I saw today? Not a big deal. No, kind of a big deal. I'm going to turn aside. And I make this distinction because there are times, and I've had them, that we ignore an obvious prompting of God's Spirit in our lives. When you know Christ and you have the Spirit, you know what I'm talking about if you've experienced that. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, then, then that's a more concerning subject for you and your relationship with God. You have no idea. The Spirit is not just your conscience. The Spirit of God dwells in us and guides our conscience. I make that distinction. So if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit is not just your conscience, your moral compass. It's what guides, and we hope, rules over our conscience. And I know in times in my life, God has said, hey, I want you to go talk to that person, or I want you to go and obey this way. And I know there are times where I have not turned towards him, but away from him. And by God's grace, he continues to give me more opportunities to obey him, but I know there are times when I ignore that, when I go away from that. I'm either aware and go towards it, or I'm aware and I move away from it. And it teaches us this first lesson. Moses put himself in a position to hear God. That is on you and I. Are we putting ourselves in a position to hear God? When I say hear God, I'm not saying wait for the burning bush. I'm saying, are you putting yourself in a position to hear God speak? 
If I've unpacked that he's spoken fully in this word, and yet you're waiting for something else, are you putting yourself in a position? So if you came here today and you feel like, oh, I don't know if I hear God with the details of my life right now, I would challenge you, are you in the word? Are you looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith? Just because you can't see the dairy farms doesn't mean they don't exist. Moses did that. And in verse 4, we learn that this obedience allows God to speak freely. It says, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. Now, it's interesting. We say this often because God is God and we are man. God doesn't need us to carry out his perfect will. He will accomplish it. And so there's nothing special in you and me. There's nothing special about me being a pastor here. It's just that he's afforded a lot of grace to you that I get to be pastor here, right? You're like, now that I can agree with. But there's nothing special. And Moses puts himself in a position to hear God, and God can then call to him, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then we see the holiness of God on display, this famous verse where God tells him to remove his sandals. Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Friends, we simply just don't understand this all the time in all the ways that we should. Sometimes we treat the voice of God so flippantly in our life and so easygoing that I think this is one of those accounts in the scripture where we have to understand what God is doing here. He is saying, you are still separated from me by your sin. Now Moses was a shepherd. His feet were probably dirty. He didn't have like, like full like boots that he could slip into to keep all the dirt off. I'm guessing his feet were probably still dirty. The point that God is making here is distinction and separation. Don't come near. I want you to know that I'm a holy God, and he wouldn't have been able to come near to that bush, I'm pretty sure. And he's saying something in that. There is a holiness factor about God that keeps us separated. Christ himself, a holy Jesus, comes and bridges that gap in his death and resurrection. But this is really important for us to know. God is saying something here, reminding Moses who he is. In verse 6, he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And it says, Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. When God identified himself, and it wasn't that he needed to identify himself, and then after, this moment for Moses was a fall flat on your face moment of fearing God, if you will, in a healthy way, because God is God. And, and Christians today, I, just, I think we treat God flippantly with our prayers. I think we think God is some afterthought, and he's either for us in this way and giving us all the blessing and favor. And many of us just simply don't revere God the way that we ought to. But Moses here is meeting the God, the I am, the God of your father Abraham and of Jacob. And he is for sure moved by this. God identifies himself in the I am statements, and he'll later clarify that. Keep reading. Then the Lord said, I have surely, surely seen, going back to what we looked at last week, that God knows, surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. This is a great phrase in the scriptures. Again, if you're here today and you don't believe this, he says, I know their sufferings. Might not understand why they exist in your life, but he says, I know and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. He tells Moses, 
Here I am, I'm very aware. And Moses, remember, we've looked at weeks past, who has this stirring in his heart for his people under the thumb of impression, who are in all their suffering and all their burden. And he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to deliver them. And Moses, because he put himself in a place to hear God, gets to be a part of this. Moses latches a hold of this, but then God comes and says, and now behold the cry of the people in verse 9 of Israel has come to me, and I have seen their oppression with the Egyptians. Listen to what he says in verse 10. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I have to think Moses was really excited about all of this until that was said. Moses sees the burning bush, falls on his face, meets the God. This is 40 years in the wilderness. He's wandering, and he meets them. And what does God do? Come, I will send you to Pharaoh. Now, if you haven't been paying attention to the story so far in Moses' life, God is pushing him back towards the thing that he fears the most. Often, God does this in our lives. He takes the thing that your heart is most afraid of, he takes the thing that your heart is most attached to, and he starts to loosen your grip. And it's important that we see this because you have to know that Moses left fleeing from Pharaoh because he was afraid for his life. He was the prince of Egypt, and now Pharaoh wants to kill him. Now God's going to tell him that all those people have gone, essentially. There's a new Pharaoh who's wicked, and Moses is confronted with the idea that God, he's put himself in a position to hear God. And now God says, now this is what I want you to do. That's how God works to sanctify us. Often he will ask you the hardest things to do the hardest things, or he'll force you into the situations where you have to live out the hardest things because he's good. And, and friends, I get that that's hard. The last nine years of my life have not been what I would have thought. And some of you sit in that situation and he does it because he's good. The same God that just spoke, I know their sufferings, I've heard their cries, here's what I'm going to do. But I'm going to do it in this way, and you don't get to decide. And so are you putting yourself in a position to hear God, but then are you putting yourself in a position to fear God? That's the second point. He tells Moses what he'll do, and there is obedience that's linked to it, and he essentially asks Moses, do you fear me? And when we say fear in the scriptures, we mean, do you know that I'm God and that I'm in charge and that you have no control and you need to submit to my word and obedience? So when we want, hear, want to hear God speak, we, can't get to, we don't get to choose what we hear. He speaks and we need to listen and obey. And so Moses, again, watch what he does next. But Moses said to God, like we would do, an excuse coming here, who am I that I should go out to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now, this is interesting because Moses knows exactly who he is. He has a pretty good resume in terms of the children in Egypt and the children of Israel. Pretty good backstory. He probably couldn't pick a better person. But he immediately comes up with the excuse when he hears God speak. He says, well, wait a second. I don't know if I'm your guy. Now, what's interesting is God's response. He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you, and I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Right back at the mountain, he was giving him this message. What's interesting about God? He doesn't actually answer his question. Sometimes you and I wait like, well, who am I? Moses, don't you remember the river? 
the basket, Pharaoh's daughter. Like, don't you, he doesn't go back. He just flies right over it and says, I'll be with you. I'm calling you. I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to abandon you. And Moses now has no excuse, if you will. God doesn't need his skills. He only tells them he will simply be with him. And Moses, needing more, if you will, says, well, who should I, who should I tell? Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, because this is crazy, God, if I do this, what should I say? The God of your fathers has sent me, and they asked me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, verse 15, Say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I will be remembered throughout all generations. All right, Moses is like, okay, I'm catching on, but I need some more information, validation, if you will. Who will I tell them? That's when God utters his name. And you have to look at verse 14, knowing that Jesus is going to come along and fulfill all these I am statements. He says, I am who I am. Jesus is going to come later and he's going to say, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am living water. Confirming for us who God's chosen, sent prophet, final prophet was. Moses hears this and this is who God is. This is who the God of promise is. Go and tell the elders of Israel, all these people who are oppressed, who have been waiting for the promise. The plan hasn't gone the way we thought it would who have been waiting for the promise, go and tell them, this is who I am, this is my name, I'm going to be remembered for all generations, and I'm here to redeem you. And now listen to what happens. Moses is told to go to speak, and it's elders that confirm this. How often do we forget who God is when big things are placed before us? Think about this for a second. How often do we forget who God is? And this is why this is important. God is saying, This is who I am, and he refers to generations of people that have trusted him. When you and I meet trial or triumph, we often forget who God is. In our trials, we forget that God is powerful. In our triumphs, we forget because we're powerful, right? Think about that. And what Moses learns here is a confirmation of sorts in verse 16 16 and 17. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord of the God of your fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of the Egypt and the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. God reminds them of the promise And he says, they will listen. We often forget God's voice. I think right now, heavy on my heart, I have shared this with you and I've shared this with many of you. And some of you probably even follow this, but we have a dear couple of friends, a family friend and their little boy, two years old, head filled with brain tumors, is in his last days. And I, I read his posts on Facebook and I weep and I'm somehow drawn to God in the process. And it's, there's nothing I can say truly except for, do you remember who God is? And that's mostly what they've, by testimony, showed me. So I get it. We often need moments in our life where other people come around us and remind us who God is. But what God says to Moses is interesting. He says, tell them who I am. They'll listen. It's going to be confirmation. Much like when you and I hear God speaking in our life, we're knowing what to do, others will often confirm that. So God sends Moses out, and he says, they'll listen because it's me. 
Often when you and I come up with wacky things that we think God has told us, we go and ask other wise people, and they say, eh, like, I don't know. That's a confirmation we should pause. And often, side note again, and I said it, often when it's against the scriptures, we need to go back, and that's why we need people around us heart-checking and keeping us accountable. When you say, I think God told me to, and we go, no, I don't think so. Moses doesn't have that. They said, they're going to listen. It never goes against what others confirm who are godly, and it never goes against his word. Now, what's interesting here is Moses is what he's asked to tell Pharaoh in verse 18. Let us go out to a three days journey in the wilderness. Did you see that? He says, go and say this. Please let us go on a three days journey into the wilderness. To do what? That we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Pharaoh is going to release the slaves so they can do what? Sacrifice to the Lord? This is important to note because Moses is being challenged with the thing he fears the most, uh, most, and then he's going to go say this wacky, hey, can you let all of us go, all of your free slave labor, slave labor so we can go out? And say, Pharaoh could care less about who God is, which is why this is really important. This is going to be absolutely ridiculous to Pharaoh. He is wicked. He is not a worshiper. And so God makes it all about himself. And this is why it's hard, I get it, to obey God's voice at times, but he makes it all about himself. He confronts the whole nation of Egypt with a warning of judgment because he says all of life is about worshiping and sacrificing to me, to meet me at this point. And what we know is essentially the same thing, that Jesus is, is going to come and be our sacrifice. And so what he's doing there is saying, let them go out, ask and see if they'll go out so they can sacrifice and worship me. Confronting, Moses, or confronting Pharaoh with the very thing that life is all about for you and I. So when you put yourself in a position to hear God and fear God, it's all about your attitude of worship and sacrifice and offering. It's where we see the third lesson come to play, that Moses put himself in a position to trust God. God reminds Moses of his power. Look at verse 19. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. What I'm sure was fearful for Moses was also just probably a huge relief. Here's what God says when he speaks words of obedience. Listen, I have given you the power to do this. This isn't going to come from you. So what Moses here is probably like we hear, all right, so I got to be like super eloquent. I need to make sure I took good notes to say the right thing to Pharaoh. I need to do it this way, this way, this way. I'm freaking out over here. And God says, no, 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 no. It's actually not going to work if you do it. It's only going to work if you're compelled by my mighty hand to do it. This should give us all pause and say, wow, when God asks us to do something, he's going to give us the resource and power to do it. He's going to equip us to do it. And Moses is going to stand before Pharaoh, and God says, and he's kind of giving him the hint at this. We know what's coming because we know the story. He's, he's going to say no a bunch of times, and it's going to look like a different thing is happening. But Moses is going to have to rely on the promise. God said he's going to compel this to happen. Even though Moses is getting the hint here, he's going to say no a bunch of times, and Moses is going to have to keep putting himself in a position where he trusts God over and over, relying on the promise like you and I 
When God asks us to do something, I want you to go speak to this person. I want you to go be a missionary over here. I want you to plan a church over here. I want you to trust me for your finances over here. I want you to wait on God for your medical results. I want you to wait on God for your job. And you have to trust God over and over and over and over again on his promise. Not because it looks the way you want, because God is just working a good thing in your heart. Remember, his promise is good. How it looks, often different. And then he speaks this to Moses. He gives him the hint of the plague. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. He's speaking of the things of judgment that is coming. And then he says this, And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor. Picture this. This is what's going to happen. God is saying, you're just going to go up to like people, the people that hate you, the people that oppress you. And each woman who lives in her house will ask her neighbor, and any woman who lives in her house for silver or gold jewelry and clothing, you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so shall you plunder the Egyptians. He says, not only are you going to be released, but you're just going to go up to people and they're just going to give you stuff. This is not a Black Friday special. This is for free. They're just going to give you blessing and inheritance. And if that is not a picture of what Christ has done for us, I don't know what is. God says, in Christ, not only will I save you, you who sin and rebel against me and think only wicked things with your heart of flesh and go after everything that is not me, and you don't desire to go out and worship and sacrifice for me. You don't desire to ever go do that all the time. You, I'm going to save you anyways, And only by my hand will that happen. And then I will give you an inheritance, a blessed inheritance. This is Ephesians 1 stuff. You who have been against God from the moment of your birth will come into my family, this new priesthood of believers, and I will save you, redeem you because of my great mercy, and I will give you all the blessings of heaven. That's what God does for us in Christ. So here's what this looks like in our life. I'd ask you, where are you right now? Are you in tune to God's word, his voice? What are you walking through right now? Are you putting yourself in a position to hear God, to fear God, and trust God? And although this life is burdensome and troublesome and often very hard, I make no mistake about that being clear. God redeems it all by the power of Christ working in us. That is why Jesus came. That is why Jesus died. That is why Jesus rose again, so that we could have life and resurrection, a beautiful inheritance. And so here's my three questions I'll ask you, and I believe they have these three answers. Do you believe that God has spoken? The answer for that is to hear him. Do you believe that he is speaking? The answer for that is to fear him. And do you believe that you should listen? Whatever God is saying, the answer for that is to trust him. I'll leave you with this. It's not really a curveball. But it is from James 1.22, and it says this, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, that's freedom, and then perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If you hear God speak, go and do what he says. Amen. Have a blessed day. Go in peace. You are sent.